You're now tuned in to Views from the Chicks, a podcast discussing the correlation between life and music. On this week's episode, we're talking the birth of American music and why rhythm can't be bought, taught, but is always stolen. Want to learn more? Tune in to find out. Let's get on with the show. Come on. Good morning, good evening, good night. Welcome to Beats and the Chicks. It's T. And it's Joey, and I'm here with... Kwana. We're here, y'all. Yeah, so today's episode is going to be a new format that we have, and we're going to be introducing Views in Review. Joey, please let us... Let the people know what Views in Review is. Yeah, so Views in Review is going to be a segment where we talk about what kind of conversations are we having. We're going to have an open discussion Mm -hmm. sharing our viewpoints Mm -hmm. on specific topics that, you know, we kind of want to talk about amongst us and we think would be very informative. You guys will learn, we will learn throughout this process and just get a different perspective. So most of you may have heard by now the 1619 Project. And the 1619 Project is a program organized by the New York Times with the goal of re-examining the legacy of slavery in the United States in time for the 400th anniversary of the arrival in America of the first enslaved people from West Africa. It is an interactive project by Nicole Hannah-Jones, a reporter for the New York Times, with contributions by the paper's writers, including essays, poems, short fiction, and a photo essay. Originally conceived as a special issue for August 20th, 2019, which marks the 400th year of when slavery was enacted, by the way, Um, it was soon turned into a full-fledged project, including coverage in the newspaper and on its website. So since news broke out about that, um, it's obviously got a lot of people talking. Of course, it also, of course, it also got a lot of people upset Mm. and it also informed a lot of people, us included. So being podcasters, what I really liked about this is not only was the project um, done in this way, it also is accompanied by a beautifully done podcast called the 1619 of the same name. Yes. And the 1619, it is, um, it's narrated by Nicole Hannah-Jones herself. And she does have a few other writers of the New York Times and other people who contributed to the project. So for today's episode, what we're going to dissect is episode three of that podcast, which is called The Birth of American Music. Yes. Now, there's no surprise why that is relevant to us in this podcast, but... After listening to it, there's just so much, so much that I learned and I took away from it that I honestly did not know before. Same here. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump into that and our review of the information that we found out about in that episode and our thoughts on it. The birth of American music. Yes. How that was, how that originated. Yes. Because inquiring minds would like to know. Mm -hmm. How did music develop and where did it derive from? So there's a lot going on in this episode, but I do want to just pinpoint one point which is around the 12 minute mark on this episode that kind of basically gathers the entire message of the episode so i'm just going to play that it's about a minute long and this is narrated by wesley morris who's also a new york times writer and he's also of the still processing podcast so let's take a listen to that but the myth basically goes 
T.D. Race happened upon an old black man cleaning a horse in a stable. The man was doing his job on property owned by a white man named Crow. He heard the tune this old black man was singing. He saw the way this man moved his body as he was cleaning this horse. Now, we don't know what tune this old man would have been singing. Whatever Rice hears coming out of this man's mouth is captivating to him. And what he sees is an opportunity. Because showbiz in the 1830s looked like this. Italian operas, British plays, entertainment imported from Europe. All the people performing this stuff would have been white. The audiences would have been white. After all, it's 1830. Slavery is in full effect. So that's just a little snippet from the episode. But essentially what you're getting here is that some, some white man. (laughs) took that song and mm-hmm. added lyrics to it and turned it into a performance, which eventually later on down the line erupted into the minstrel show that we see mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Well, not today, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That we um, so that we see from that and it contributed to various styles of music. It influenced mm-hmm. the opera, as you can hear, and various forms of music that came from Europe and all that. It, for the most part, originated here. Yeah. So did. it's just crazy to see how this all like originated yeah. with us. You know what I mean? And we don't get the credit. We don't. Well, it's interesting as you were speaking, a, a thought that just came to mind. So basically, to music in general, like American music is just a big clusterfuck of appropriation. That's it. Mm-hmm. That is that's, it. That's the thing that just instantly came to yeah. my mind. Mm-hmm. So to piggyback off what you were saying about this person just hearing this, you know, someone who's obviously probably working mm-hmm. on the plantation or working doing a job, minding a laborious business. job, yep. minding his yep. business, trying to sing this song to get him through the day. Yep. Mm-hmm. A form of entertainment. I know hems and different songs um, derive from that because as you know, our people like to do, we like to make a negative thing into a positive thing. And that Always. was a positive yep. thing that they took away under those treacherous conditions. So the audacity mm-hmm. of him to steal that to profit off of it. It's just very similar to what we do today constantly. Constantly, yeah. Constantly. And, and we then, still see it today. Mm-hmm. And what we still see today. And then I always go back to the William Lynch letter. Mm. Like, it's just, this letter just keeps haunting me and haunting mm-hmm. me. Like, you you know they uh, proved that as fake, right? I was I was going to say that. They did. Mm-hmm. But so is it's that, not real. Is that proof? Well, because he wrote a book. Well, basically what they, basically what happened was that particular letter was not published until um like the 70s online online like when they went back to see where it came from because Mm -hmm. they wanted to trace willie lynch and stuff basically what they were saying was that willie lynch did not actually exist and yeah and this letter was i guess introduced to us through online um a librarian in i want to say 
Chicago. I mm-hmm. could be wrong, but a librarian, I guess when people started using the computer more, mm-hmm. started going through, you know, archives and found this letter, put it online so people could see it. Right. Um, but then when historians go back and they read the letter, they said that they said mm-hmm. that a lot of the wordage that was used was not used back then Got in it. the 1860s, which is why they have a theory that this was not a letter that was used back then. Maybe this was sort of fabricated in some way. So it hasn't been like mm. completely proven, but historians are pointing to that letter not being completely real. Oh, that's the tricky thing with the Internet, because it's very hard to tell the truth from the fake. We see how people are so easily persuaded through means of social media and media. But we didn't even hear from the Internet. We heard it in our class, in our African-American studies class. But what she's saying is that they used the Internet to basically share that information in terms of uploading it and getting the message out there. So it's like. I feel like because it took so long for them to even try to debunk that, the letter, it's kind of like, okay, now who's telling the truth? Yes. You guys could just be trying to find a reason to debunk that so that Mm -hmm. we don't believe that. And at the end of the day, even if it's a fake letter, a lot of the things in it we know to be true through our life experiences. You know what I mean? It it could very well be fake, but a lot of things that were said in that letter or manifesto Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it is, I guess people have used that information. Mm -hmm. Right. To their advantage. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I thought he also made like a speech. I think he did a well, speech. Well, that's what they're saying. They're saying that speech never happened. The speech never so happened. So the speech was done by who then? Or well, they're, no they're saying there was, there was no speech. So oh. do we even know how the word lynching it derived was, from? It was allegedly from him. That's what I That's what I. Yeah. yeah. That's but what they're I also so saying now that. now like even more confused. Maybe his name wasn't Willie Lynch, but they're also saying that. This person of Willie Lynch, this person that we have in our heads, mm. figment of our is, imagination, isn't, isn't really a real thing. Okay. It could have been like somebody could have very well had a speech or done something, but it Similar. might not have necessarily been someone named Willie Lynch. Okay, okay. So they're still trying. They there's just been trying like to trying to authenticate where this came from, where this manifesto came from. You know, the wording, like, based on what words was used in this letter, what year was it that Mm -hmm. it was written, like, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. So there's just a lot of conflicting information right now. So historians have been like, well, maybe this isn't what we thought it was this whole time. Interesting. Basically. That is interesting. And I feel like um, that's, like, my one thing when I think about history and facts is that not everyone could read and write. Yeah. So a lot of things that are even written in books. Or even read and write well. Read and write well, yeah. So not everything that was written back then is always factual or yeah. it's all it's most of the time it's told from like a specific perspective because as we know, black people were not able. They didn't have those resources or yeah. whatever to um, write their own history in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's always hard. Like I find history very fascinating for that reason, because it's kind of like, yes, this is factual, but do we really know? Right. You know what I mean? Because we weren't there. You right. can't time travel. Right. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting thought-provoking but yeah but i i found that episode very very interesting what do you guys think about the information that was in there there's a lot of other stuff in there so i definitely encourage you listeners to go and listen to that episode i believe it's about i think it's an hour uh let me see exactly oh it's actually 35 minutes Yeah, it's very quick episode yeah so 35 minutes so Um, go and dive in completely they go into grave detail about the minstrel show and all of that exactly but yeah my favorite part um of the episode was the beginning and a little bit of the end Mm -hmm. um, when he went through all these artists who are considered rock artists, Mm -hmm. country artists, he came up with a 
Yacht, Yacht Rock. Oh, yes, yacht. yacht Rock when he was at his rock. friend's house. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, Yacht Rock. And then how he kind of like went all the way back to all these different artists. And, and he talked about the way they sang the mm-hmm. lyrics yep. and the raspiness of the voice yep. and how that was similar to of uh, hems or gospel yep. and how they were mimicking, you know, basically black music and trying to making and making a profit off of it and, yep. and then how he went to amy winehouse and george michael and david 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 bowie and mm-hmm. talking about people from england and how they're also adapting the same um technique and raspiness yep. when they sing adele. in their vocals yep. and adele and then how we hear that and i'm just like wow that's so powerful and he basically talked about how David Bowie basically wanted to do an R&B album. But because he was white, they put him in this like mm-hmm. pop genre mm-hmm. because of the way he looked. Mm-hmm. But there, this has been going on for so long. For and so I long. feel like it was very informative. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting was he, when he spoke about Jim Crow and um, how he did the black face and how he was imitating. Um, it's interesting about these menstrual shows and how they came to fruition because they basically were trying to interpret what they felt like black people mm-hmm. felt like during mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea, no idea, which makes it even more comical <laughs> in a sense. And then he also talked about how there was an, I don't remember the name, how they had another black man who was a performer. And then he put oh, yeah, a black face yep. on mm-hmm. a black man to perform, yep. which I thought it was the, I don't know yeah. the descriptive. It's like black man. Why don't you get up there and, and just be, be a black the stereotypical black man yeah. that we think you are, right? Not who you really right. are? Right. He might have been light skinned black man, and they just like put but this it's even black like face on the here. black man having to cover up his own face. It's like okay, yes. you're living your truth now. When you actually physically now cover put your on what we put, think you are, yeah. exactly. I and thought that was so deep and like moving. Mm. That like shook me like that comparison because mm, yeah. you had the Jim Crow and then you had this guy who's doing the same thing because he's trying to. Um, impress impress. or whatever but and it's it's just interesting it bothered me in some sense too of like how can you take this pain this this one thing that we have right like slavery was difficult time and for them to take that one thing that we had our voice like singing Mm -hmm. that made us feel good you guys profited off of it it, you stole that from us and i just don't think that's fair i mean people still do it Today, day. right? It is. It's true. It's true. But we don't get credit. And I love how he brought it back to Motown mm-hmm. and how he was saying Motown was the time for us to shine. How how America really got to know like black music because you got the country, you got the gospel, you got the R and B through Motown. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my god, yes, that was the. I when I was listening to him say that, I was like, oh my god, that is the emancipation of black music. That mm-hmm. was Motown. us coming of age for us that was a pivoting of more to come and i thought that was beautifully set and the way he just transitioned everything it was it was perfectly done Mm. he went from now to back then back to now like yeah Mm -hmm. it was great so and then basically at the end of the day the music it came from africa like i'm gonna say like yes we're talking about american music but if we Mm want to know where it started where it came from it came from africa period Mm -hmm. definitely i mean even Fat Joe's comments. Mm-hmm. So, we play, you want to play a clip? Yes, so Stephanie played. We're going to play a clip of that interview. This was done with Hot 97 earlier this week. Brazilian music. All of it. Dominican music. Uh, Spanish drums. All the music is African music. So, you know, you getting on the Afro beat now. I've been in Africa. They've been doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? It ain't new. All the music is African. 
So that's a clip from that interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like um, this music originated from Africa, you know, like um, salsa, you know, is black mm-hmm. and, you know, um, bachata is black, like the drums and stuff like that came from Africa, you yeah. know, like the Caribbean was just another stop. Yep. Essentially, yep. you know, on the trade. Like for me, it, I like to hear artists kind of speak the truth, you know, a lot of times people don't, they kind of want to get rid of history. Mm-hmm. And um, there are definitely, you know, people are commenting on that clip and whatnot. We're From like, well, not mm-hmm. all Latinos are black and there are some white Latinos, which is true. Which is true. Correct. Correct. Which is definitely true. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, um, but, you know, I think a lot of times people do want to erase that part of history. Yep. Mm-hmm. And separate and, themselves. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like kind of separate themselves. And even if maybe your, your direct family might not be black per se, if you keep going down your line, somebody could have been, mm-hmm, you know? Right. So it's just, correct. I like to hear artists, you know, speak up, speak what they know. Yeah. But I also want to kind of push the envelope going, piggybacking to the whole Afro-Latinas and Latinas are um, black. It's interesting because do we have that same energy when someone else finds out that they have a part of another ethnicity in them? Like if, if, when someone finds out they have some Native American in them or they find out that they are Caucasian or... You mean specifically a black person finding out? Yeah, like a black yeah, like a black person. I, I see how everyone is like, oh, yes. Or like, you know, I'm not taking away because I've definitely... I get what you're saying, though. I definitely believe that there are people who are of the Hispanic descent mm-hmm. who are, who have African, you know, blood in them. Mm-hmm. Not taking that away from anybody at all. I just don't see people... Like people of color mm-hmm. parading around saying, "Oh, I have um, this percentage of in white me. in me," or I. You know what I think it is though. What? I feel like not not to sorry, but just to interject real quick. I think that a lot of it comes down to how back in the day everyone followed the one drop rule yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that even though we don't necessarily talk about the one drop rule, we still kind of follow that. Right. So it's kind of like you know it's embedded you have, in us. It's embedded in us. You have someone like Drake. He's Jewish and black, but he's black. J. Right. Cole, Jewish and black, but he's black. black yeah. He's Jewish and black? Yes. Yeah. Oh, maybe not Jewish. I'm sorry. I don't no. know if his No, no, Jewish. I don't think he's Jewish. No, but no, his no. mom is oh, white. Yeah, mom is hold white. on. Wait, 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 wait. You got to get your facts about my boyfriend correct. <laughs> he's okay. white. Yeah. He's Caucasian. He's Caucasian and yeah. black, but we see him as a black, as black man. black man, yeah. Yes. Alicia Keys, we see her as a black woman. Okay, yeah. T and Tamara, we see them, well. As no, black no. women. T, T. You know. But you know. We see them for the most part as black women. Right. Love them both, but you know. I think, <laughs> but yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's, if I did my ancestry and found out that I was a part of this, part of that or whatever, I don't, I think it would be really informative and I definitely would want to know more about that and like probably embrace that culture. Just be self-aware. Mm-hmm. Like if I knew that I was a part of those things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like um, it's interesting when Fat Joe's talking about Afro-Latinas because, you know, I know some people who are Latin that they do not associate themselves with being black. Like mm. only when it's convenient yes, for them. Yes. Like or when, when they want to be down. When they want to be down. When they want to yes. walk around and say the N word and well, like, yeah. it's just like it's just too. situation. Like you like I was born black, so I don't get to be choosing at what point of right. the day yeah. that I want to be black. Right. I'm just black. Yeah. But, but I think that's but I think that's also I know I know what you're trying to say is like, well, we do we have that same energy if you know I did a 23 and Me test today and found out I was five percent Irish or whatever. Right. Like, am I gonna rep Ireland now? Yeah. But it's like, like, do I go hard? I get <laughs> I get pay? it. I get it. But it's like, 
um, at the end of the day, when someone looks at me, they see see a black woman. A black woman. Yeah. So I can, you know, say, well, I'm 5% Irish, but that that doesn't matter. That doesn't doesn't mean anything. But on the flip side, if you're um, Latina or Latino and you don't want to admit that your grandmother, who is a dark-skinned woman, Mm has roots in Africa just because you don't think it sounds good for you, that's a completely different thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I also think as a culture, as the black culture, we are more accepting. Like, if someone says, oh, my grandma is black or whatever, like, oh, my God, you one of us. Like, we are just invited to the cookout. We're we're just so open as a unit that we just embrace everyone Everyone. in. You could be as light as day, but we know you got a black grandma. Like, you part of the crew, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's someone who is Caucasian and they're married to a black person or whatever, vice versa. You get brownie points. You get (laughs) We let you all in. But when we go to other people races... They don't, they don't have us like that. That's mm-hmm. my issue. Okay, that's gotcha. basically what I'm trying to say. Like, that's my issue. Like, gotcha. who's going to hold us down when we try to, you know, go into their race and be like, oh, okay, I'm a part of this. Are they going to be as accepting as we are yeah. right, for other people? Speaking, yeah. speaking on that, just uh, that's a really good segue into something real quick that I want to talk about. All the music Ooh. is African. All the music. <laughs> <laughs> so a quick segue talking about, you know, uh, black people going into their territory, if you will. Um, this made me think about country music. And that became a topic recently because of obviously the whole Lil Nas X thing of him doing a country trap song, so to speak, and what's deemed country, what's not mm. deemed country. Um, when you have a white artist who's making a predominantly pop song and they have a rapper on it, they are eligible to be categorized a- in a hip hop category. Mm-hmm. But yet when you have a... I guess, somewhat trap-ish artist or kind of whatever on a country-ish beat, they're not qualified in the same sense. Right. So this brings me to an article that's actually by Time Magazine. Okay, Time. And it is titled, Black Artists Built Country Music and Then Left It Behind. Ooh. Wow. We built mm-hmm. or you took? Left it behind. Who mm-hmm. built or who took? We built. Yeah. We built We left it. it. We left it. Once we were getting basically kicked out of it, if mm. you will. Okay, so from the Time Magazine article, it says, The black influence on country music starts with the banjo, which often conjures the hazy image of a white pastoral South. But the instrument is a descendant of West African lutes, made from gourds that were brought to America by slaves and which became a central part of slave music and culture in the South. Soon the instrument was standardized, appropriated, and spread to white audiences through minstrel and blackface shows, which deeply informed the rise of hillbilly music, a term that would later be rebranded as country music. Mm. Mm -hmm. Time Magazine said it, y'all, not me. Mm. Do you you feel like, okay, so, I mean, in a sense, like, if, so we brought the banjo over to um, the U.S., correct? Mm -hmm. So... And we played it in more of a rhythm, rhythmic and blue, like a country way. But then I feel like in a sense, once you kind of like they took that from us and kind of changed it, changed it and ran with it. Right. So mm-hmm. in a sense, we're like, I'm disassociating myself with that because that is not, not what, what we, we did. did. And that's right. not how we wanted it to be portrayed mm-hmm. as. So y'all do your thing and, you know, do your thing and go with it or whatever. But at the same breath, it's just like. 
I think the issue is paying homage to where you got that music mm-hmm. from. That's what the real issue is. Not us, we leaving it behind. But even it's on, like you won't let us. It's like you won't let us at the table. Yeah, you won't. We don't get a seat, even but though we created it. Even on that though, a lot of these musicians, country musicians, or what have you, other white artists, they're not informed either. Mm-hmm. They don't know. The I bet you the, the banjo they playing all day. I bet you they know. They don't know it came from yeah. Africa. They don't know. A lot of things, a lot of the history in terms of music, I just learned from listening to this episode from 1619. Right. And it's like, a lot of them just don't know. And maybe it ignorance. could be ignorance, or maybe they don't care to know. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? I mean, it's both. making them yeah. a check. You getting a check. Why? Why I gotta care? The money's flowing. Why I gotta care? Yeah. You know? Speaking of origins, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up um, basically an article by The Root, theroot.com, written by Marco, uh, Michael Harriet. And he talks about Sister Rosetta Tharp. Who That's your girl. Is basically the godmother <laughs> of rock and roll. She basically created the genre of rock and roll. And yes, she is a black woman. Okay. Um, Speak on it. And she basically started recording music in the 1930s. When people think of rock and roll, they think of Elvis. They think of Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. They think of... Um, like, I know we might think of James, well, not, well, James Brown, I guess, would be soul, but we would think of um, Little Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was, she came out before all of them. So basically, Sister Rosetta Tharp, she was a recording artist who came before Elvis and Johnny Cash. She preceded Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Wow. And even to, in, I mean, not to this day, but. She didn't get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until 2017. What? 2017. Johnny Cash Mm. said that she was his favorite singer growing up. Little Richard called her his greatest influence. Chuck Berry said his whole career was just one long Rosetta Tharp impersonation. Wow. And with that information out there still... Not Still, giving the credit. Um, 2017. Wow. So there was a PBS documentary on her oh, nice. a couple years ago, and they named her the godmother of rock and roll. She's also sometimes called the forgotten mother of the genre or the most influential artist ever. So technically, she was a gospel singer because rock and roll didn't exist mm-hmm. before her. So technically, she was a gospel singer, but she would basically take that gospel sound and then go into nightclubs and do her version of what we now call rock and roll she played the guitar which was in itself an amazing thing for a woman especially a black woman to teach herself how to play the guitar because the guitar is seen as a man's as a man's um instrument and very masculine so just that alone the fact that she played the guitar was something that was you know amazing uh, within itself but um Basically, when she she was recording songs and she was popular when Elvis was like three, Chuck Berry was like 12, like these people mm. grew up listening, listening to, her. to her. And she um, was born in Arkansas. She performed in churches with her uh, mom and she uh, did get married when she... Um, grew up, but then she divorced her husband and kept his last name Tharp. So that's how she stayed with her stage name, Rosetta Tharp. Um, taught herself how to play the guitar. Yes, get rid of the man, um, keep the name. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, insert came. <laughs> oh my god. 
That will be in a, a whole nother episode. <laughs> we will get to that. Um, but yeah, she would blend gospel and secular music. So she would go into nightclubs and basically play God's God's music in the devil's den. Mm. Um, and you know, some people would get mad. Some people yeah. would be like, so it was not well received. Club yeah. playing this. Some people get mad today. Exactly. Secular music. Um, but she started playing with Duke so- Ellington's band. Um, she recorded more gospel songs. I mean, that was the only genre they put her in at that time because right. rock didn't exist. Um, but yeah, she, she was on the charts. She would, you know, people would say, how oh, you play, you play like a man. And she's like, no, I play better than a man. Ooh. Yes, girl. Let them know. know. Like, um, hey, let them use you. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need that on the t-shirt. We do. Yes, let let them use, use you. you. Make sure it's not well, copyrighted. Me, hold on. That might be taken yeah, the wrong way. Yeah, that might be taken the wrong way, way too. No, We're never talking mind. about Jesus, y'all. Jesus. Scratch that. <laughs> yes. Scratch that idea. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Um yeah, but she, you know, she played Carnegie Hall, she played the Cotton Club. Um, she performed with people like Cab Calloway. Wow. Um, yeah, she did her thing. Did her mm-hmm. thing. And you know, a lot they of people. They need to do a don't... bio like a movie on her. Yeah. I would love that would to be see dope. They, they definitely should. Yeah. And a lot of people don't I'd like to see it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. know, have not heard of her, don't know who she is. Mm, she um know. uh in the end of the root article it says Sister Rosetta Tharp was not an unknown hidden little secret. She was a huge star. She had her third wedding in a stadium where 25,000 people attended. Jesus. Yet she was somehow erased from the history of music. What? Just like that le- letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Well, yeah. so now everybody knows who she is. Yeah. I hope everybody does more research yeah, and know do that. Yeah, more research on her. And It just sucks. Like, if I was... I don't know if I came up with something and I'm seeing all these people reaping the benefits yep. of something that I invented and yep. I put my heart and soul into it just that would just and make making me money sick. off of it. Yes. Yeah, that just make me sick. That's how I feel about this whole conversation in regards to music and its origin. And yeah, so I'm so happy right now that hip hop is the number one genre. A-A. Music genre in America, so it's like redemption. I know we back on top. <laughs> we back on top. Mm-hmm. So, but what comes with that? You got these young, you know, white kids mm. who are singing along to these songs who, you know, want to be called white chocolate and want to get invited <laughs> to the barbecue, mm. but don't want to be down for the Can we stop inviting people to the barbecue? Yeah, we can. It's can we barbecue. tell them that the, the date was changed? Sorry, <laughs> you did not get the update. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been canceled. No, I, and I want to make something very, very clear. Our issue is yes. that people, like... We include people in so many people of different races in so many other yeah. ways, yeah. but we don't feel included. And when it comes to our issues, right? For example, yes. Bette Midler was it Bette Midler or no? Not oh Bette yeah, Mid- yeah, with uh, the whole Beyonce. Is thing? it Bette Midler? Yeah, yeah. Bette she she was calling it action to the Beehive. All Beyonce mm-hmm. has X amount of million followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She said those are way more more people than Trump had who voted for him mm-hmm. so she's like oh wouldn't it be great if the beehive came together and all voted trump out mm-hmm. how beautiful that would be and then other people came back and said well and how Jamel, about we get Jamel hill janelle yeah Jamel. Jamel hill she was like oh, how about taylor swift and katie perry yeah. and all their followers come together yeah. while we always got to be the answer yeah. for something yeah you know what i mean so that's what i'm saying like yeah. we have no issue with anybody of any other race it's just like when it comes to our issues 
the way you into our music, I wish you would be into our issues Entire as well. Issue. And what's yeah. crazy Keep is that, that same energy. when Bette Midler said that, I'm sure she did not because she yeah. doesn't see life through the lens that we see it. Correct. She did not see an issue with saying that because in her mind, she's yeah. just thinking Beyonce's a superstar. Not that she's a black superstar. And she has power. And Beyonce's a- even more of a superstar than Taylor Swift. Well, yeah. Correct. But I think she was picking people who had like a large yes. following. Yeah, because the-, the Beehive have gone Mess. in at her. Yeah. So yeah. she yeah. was just trying to troll I don't, them. Yeah, I don't think she meant it that way either, but it was definitely a comment. Mm-hmm. that probably wasn't thought through mm-hmm. um, but definitely you know everybody want to be black but don't nobody want to be black yep. and nobody wants to handle our issues no one want to face our issues head yeah. on we have a lot of things going on and if you want to you know get involved get involved in other ways yeah. too and, and not just proof. when it's a Kanye concert or yeah. something like that like get involved be down be down with everything with all of it yeah. Anyway, definitely great conversation. Yes, loved it. Love it. Great conversation. But all in all, go check out sixteen nineteen project. Um, check out this podcast. Let us know what you guys think about this. Is there anybody else? Um, I guess who has a footprint in the origination of music, if you will, or that we should know about. Inform us. Is there mm-hmm. any more details that we missed, or maybe that this episode missed that everyone else should know? This is views and review. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good first, first one. episode. That yes. was dope. I like it. Exactly. Let us know what you guys think. Yes. All right, so it's been T. It's Joey. And Kwana. And we're Views from the Chicks. Bye. Peace.